in our present moment, when we're so divided in the United States, uh, especially in Christianity, I think it helps us not to see everybody as villains, but to see us as, as victims of a collective era. Welcome to another episode of Holy Heretics, Losing Religion and Finding Jesus from the Sophia Society. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Allen. Before we get started, we just wanted to say a big thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support really means the world to us, and it does help us keep creating great content. If you are listening and are interested in contributing to our work, you can find more information about that by going to patreon.com slash holyheretics. Now, today, we have the privilege of sitting down with Chris Starin, the producer of Truth Podcast. Chris is the award-winning filmmaker behind Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls. He's also the author of the dramatic Christian thriller Cradle Robber. His heart, ultimately, though, is for people who are on the outside edges of popular Christianity, so the underrepresented, the skeptics, and those who have been hurt by the church. His podcast, then, is a vehicle to express the unmet needs of the outsiders. When he's not juggling multiple episodes at the same time, Chris enjoys hiking, cross-country skiing, improv comedy, and teaching Sunday school. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, Chris. So tell us a little bit about your podcast, Truce, and maybe just why you started it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the show comes out every two weeks, and it's a show that uh, looks inside the, the American Christian Church, generally to figure out how we got here and how we can do better. So for the last um, oh, year and a half or so, I've been talking about how the rise of communism in Russia impacted the American Christian church. And you, you see it all over the place if you're looking for it. It just comes up all the time. Um, so that's what I've been covering in season three. And I started the show um, uh, three years ago, three, three and a half years ago, um, because I started to see there was all this tension uh, amongst my friends and family. Uh, who had all sorts of different ideas about Christianity and the government and political beliefs and um, and everybody was angry and everybody mm. was was tense and upset and I was like, well, wh why is this? And uh, one of my theories is that a lot of times we we just don't understand uh, uh, our history and why the thing we're fighting about is the way it is, mm. um, and so. Just in, in researching things for my friends, when they would bring something up, it would be like, oh, I guess, you know, we really don't understand this particular issue. Um, and so the, the show was a way for me to bring some of that research out and disseminate it. And, and now it's just become this, this project of joy for me that I really mm. love doing. And I don't think I could stop if I wanted to. <laughs> just because you're learning so much or why is that? Yeah. I, I, every time I, it's one of those deals where it's like, I, I, I pull up one rock and there's two rocks underneath it. I like every time I, I uncover one thing, there's like, like a bunch of bunny trails underneath it that I had to explore. Um, which is really exciting for a podcaster. Cause I initially started thinking I was going to run out of material in a couple of months <laughs> and I, I've got a whole year planned out from this point. Oh, wow. Uh, ahead of where I am now. Uh, I, I don't have it all researched or figured out, but just what I want to talk about. Mm. And uh, it's, it's actually very exciting um, for me to have that opportunity. But I'm hoping that uh, through doing this, I can create an avenue for folks to better understand how we got to where we are. Because I think that if we 
we understand how we got to where we are, we can make better decisions and hopefully be more compassionate towards each other. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating because like thinking back in my own Christian upbringing, there wasn't much talk of like, what was Christianity like in the decades preceding when I was growing up, let alone centuries preceding where we were in that point in history. And as an adult, I've learned a lot more about it, but there's still so much more to learn. So I think it's really interesting that like, as soon, once you bring up that idea of like, how did we get here? It's like, oh yeah, how did we get here? (laughs) But you don't really think about that just on your own, uh, just as a Christian going through life, you don't think about like what influenced the faith that I've been taught. And so you brought up um, talking about how communism, Russian communism has impacted American Christianity. How did you even discover that influence or how did you realize like this has actually really impacted the faith that we have today? Yeah, I I was working on season two, which was a grab bag of episodes, uh, which season one was as well. And it just kept coming up. I kept seeing, oh, well, this was a reaction to communism or, you know, uh, especially if you get into like the moral majority stuff. I, I, I kind of wanted to do something about Jerry Falwell mm. and I still haven't really done it yet. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, it's going to be years until I can get there because I kept realizing if I wanted to explain Jerry Falwell and the moral majority, I really had to explain everything that came before him. Um, mm. So it's not to just, it'd be easy enough to just demonize him. Uh, but if you, if you understand what came before him, you can kind of see the logic that came into it. It, it may be faulty logic, but there's still logic there. Mm. Um, and so I think that uh, in order to understand and have compassion for our brothers and sisters, you have to go further back. Mm. Um, so that was uh, what got me started. It was like, well, you know, I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed history. I, I'm not a, a historian myself. I, I'm sort of an armchair historian. I just read whatever I want, whatever I'm interested in. And um, I, I didn't even know why the Russian Revolution happened um, when I initially started this thing. So the beginning of season three, I had to start from scratch, like basically zero. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't have told you like what century the revolution happened in. Um, so, I have to be honest. I don't think I even learned about the Re- Russian revolution in school. So right. I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> it, the, it was a Everyone deal. dies. That's, that's the, that's the plot line. <laughs> everyone kind dies. Kind of, yes. Uh, kind of, yes. And, and, uh, and even the parts that I knew about the Russian revolution, it was basically that everybody dies, but I didn't know what brought it on. And, uh, and once I started that, I realized that there were a lot of parallels between what was going on before the Russian Revolution and what was going on in the United States at the time um, mm-hmm. uh, with workers' rights and uh, 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 people coming to the cities from rural areas, being mistreated, um, children working in factories, long hours, low pay, dirty conditions, dangerous conditions. Those things were happening parallel to each other in the United States and in Russia. So it was just like really fascinating to me how we dealt with these things in two very different ways. Mm. Um, They had a revolution that uh, was supposed to, you know, bring peace and calm and tranquility to to Russia and it didn't. Um, And uh, and we had union troubles and then union busting. Uh, And so it's kind of its own messy thing in the United States, just not um, quite as brutal. Uh, So I, I find that stuff to be fascinating when you can have two parallel stories going at the same time. 
And um, so I, I thought it was really important to tell the story of the Russian Revolution uh, because folks like myself, I didn't know what it was about. So I could, it was easy to assume nobody else did or a few other people did. And, uh, and hopefully that gives, like I said, compassion to us to understand that it didn't just happen out of nowhere. Mm. Uh, it happened for a whole bunch of reasons. And, uh, and so you can see what came after it as sort of a, a logical progression. Again, bad logic, but uh, <laughs> a logical progression of the stuff that came before it. Mm. Well, you know, I am old enough to remember the Reagan years and old enough yeah. to remember the rise of the, the moral majority. And in particular, how Christianity in America became tied to capitalism. And how, right. you know, the big bad red Russians were the communist and they were anti-God and God haters. And so we were fighting a um, ideological and theological war with, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the Cold War. Um, and it was, it's interesting that I actually uncovered, you may have seen this too, Chris, um, some old uh, campaign photos from Ronald Reagan who literally said at one point to a huge um, evangelical audience, you know, we want to make America great again. And, yeah, that's you know, not a new phrase. It's not <laughs> new at all. And that was shocking to me. So, yeah, by the way, have you watched the television show? I know it's a, a few a few years old, but The Americans? I have not. No. Okay. It's, it, you know, it's a little bit dark. It's a little bit twisty, but you might enjoy it specifically as it relates to this entire story of communism and the fear of communism. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily get into the role of the church, but it definitely shapes and shows us the ethos of, of uh, what it meant to be an American, you know, in the, in the eighties and, and mm -hmm. early nineties, pretty, pretty fascinating. So, yeah. So it sounds like you have taken a deep dive, uh, not only into uh, church history, but also American history. What would you say is the most surprising thing uh, you've learned in, in some of your research? Yeah, I was, I was really fascinated by uh, how many of our monuments to sort of a Christian America are, are pretty new. And um, so there's a whole bunch of episodes that I did about, um, say, Monuments to the Ten Commandments or the, the National Prayer Breakfast, um, God being on the money, uh, the God being in the Pledge of Allegiance, all those things. I, I wanted to find out how he got there into each of those things. And it turns out um, they basically all happened in the 1950s, uh, at just, you know, just within the span of a couple of years. And um, in conversations I was having with friends and uh, people that I met about, is the United States a Christian nation? Uh, inevitably, those things would come up. And it's like, well, really, for 70% of our history, those things weren't there. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're fairly new. And uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, we, have, we have such a short memory. We kind of mm. assume that the way things are now is the way it's always been. Um, and the, thing, the things that we have now are the things we've always had. So it's funny, even you talk to a teenager now, and they... YouTube has always been there for them. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't know what time before YouTube, but I, I do. And uh, I remember even when I come out, came out thinking, nobody's going to look at this. Why would anybody want to see somebody's home videos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was way off. Uh, you know, it, it seems like there's always been that time uh, for, for these young people that, that YouTube has always been there. The internet's always been there. Um, but that's not the case. And it's not the case for American monuments uh, to like the Ten Commandments. They haven't always been there. Mm -hmm. um, and 
we just kind of get used to that idea and uh, it, it becomes a part of our heritage, uh, even, you know, something that's not that old. Um, and, and then it, once it becomes part of our heritage, it's really hard to separate from, from our, our faith, you mm-hmm. know, because everything is, gets tied together, um, which is, I mean, it's okay. It's kind of a natural part of the world. You know, and we, I don't want to like say that the people who do that are evil. Um, it's, it's just a natural part of how we survive in, in this world is to try to create an idea of our heritage. But um, if that heritage happens to be incorrect and one of those pieces falls out, um, it could collapse the whole deal. So if you tie your faith to a whole bunch of things that really are not reliable, um, there's a chance that you could lose your faith or ask, you know, have to ask some really big questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to jump in on that because I think you're, you're onto something. So many of us grew up tying our faith with uh, America. And in so many hearts and minds, they they are one. And to yeah. question one is to you know really question the other one, as as we have said earlier. And it, it it's really fascinating when you ask people that question. You know, do you think uh, America is a Christian nation? And and I would say that the majority of white evangelicals would say resoundingly yes. And yeah. and my question to them as a historian has always been, when was this mythical time? When was America Christian? Was it was it when the first slave ships arrived in 1619? Was it during yeah. the, you know, the genocide of Native Americans? Was it during segregation and the Civil War? And I understand that, you know, there are some some beautiful founding principles that were based on Christian principles, but when we began to look really intently at our history, it's pretty sordid. It, it, it's it's pretty violent and it's pretty racist. And there's there's so many eras of American history that look nothing like Jesus. And I, I think it's it's beautiful what you're doing is really helping people uh, disentangle these two ideas. You know, really begin to separate. Hey, we don't have to hate America. Uh, we, we, right. you know, we, we, we're not doing that, but we do need to take a long, hard look at how we have co-joined these two myths and co-joined these two stories. And it's probably not helpful for any of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it's like you said, it's, I mean, I, I don't, my goal is not to make anybody hate America. Because <laughs> right. I, actually, I'm really thankful to live in the United States. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's healthy for us to have a a 3D view of what the United States really is, mm. the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. Um, so this, I did a story about the American coup in Guatemala um, that we did, I, gosh, I want to say it was in the 1950s. We, um, uh, there was a, a United Fruit Company that grew bananas down in Guatemala. And uh, there was an American company and the there was a democratically elected leader named Arbenz was his last name. And he came in uh, and was hoping to take some of the land that United Fruit was not using and give it to some of the peasants so that they could build a better life for themselves. And they were, they were going to pay for it, you know, and United Fruit wasn't using it. It was just laying fallow. But United Fruit decided that they were going to uh, make a big deal out of this. And they painted Arbenz as, as a communist, and he wasn't. And this is, you know, right at the heart of the Cold War. So calling somebody a communist was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And they were able to, through media and through uh, connections at the CIA, uh, to oust President Arbenz, again, a democratically elected leader, 
uh, and they were wow. able to put in somebody who was friendlier to American business, even though not a democratically elected leader. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. And we've done that a whole bunch of times. That is not the only time we've done it. Uh, we did it a whole bunch of times. And mm. uh, if you start thinking about that is a part of American history, just as much as, you know, any kind of really positive thing you could think of, you know, say the national parks, um, it's the same. It's the same. It's, it's also a part of our history. And if we're not incorporating that into our understanding of the country, we're going we're gonna to really struggle to have a good view of the country. Um, you, you hear it around even um, discussions of World War II, which is like the war that everybody likes to talk about and read about. It's like the socially acceptable war in the United States. <laughs> Every book is about it. It's amazing. Even like romance books are about World War II now. And um, we, we tend to believe that we won, the United States won World War II. When really, if you look at the numbers and the sacrifices, Russia had a huge impact that far outweighed mm. our contribution. Not that we were insignificant, but Russia lost way more people than we did uh, right. and had their own land invaded um, where we, you know, are, we were safe on the other side of the world right. uh, for the most part. And um, we just, it's that kind of disconnect. We don't often think of uh, other countries. Uh, we only think of our the United States as being mm. exceptional, right? Um, and we are. It is a fantastic country to be from. But it, uh, if you don't have a three D view of things, uh, history is going to be very difficult for you, <laughs> and um, and really understanding other people is going to be very difficult for you, especially from other cultures. Mm. Um, even down to being a missionary, going say if you're gonna you're a missionary and you go to Guatemala and you're like, oh, these people are so poor. I, if only they worked harder, you know. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, they. They had a democratically elected leader in the 50s that we overthrew and their country wouldn't be in such bad shape if we didn't do this to them. Mm. Right. Um, so even down to our missions uh, can be impacted by the United States and by um, uh, our, our, our reactions to these folks and to communism. Mm. Um, so it's, I think it's really important that we understand it um, when, especially again, for our missions and how we're going to react to other countries that may be in a position in the position they're in because of something that we did. Well, I think it's really important to tell those stories. Um, you yeah. know, most of us grew up telling the story of American exceptionalism. And when we yeah. uncover these darker stories that, you know, we really don't like to tell about ourselves, it can be pretty uh, disenchanting. I mean, I think of the secret war in Laos, you know, where the United States mm -hmm. dropped more bombs per capita on that country than, than in the history of the world and, and the damage still done to, to those people. And, and it is, it can be uh, discouraging as an American to, to take a long, hard look at our checkered past, but we do do ourselves a disservice when we gloss over those, you know, kind of the dirty parts of our city on a hill. You know, we have to, we have sure. to come to terms with those, especially as Christians especially as Christians who really believe that, that we are a part of a kingdom that transcends the United States. So I just applaud what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think that that is the beauty of what you're doing is you're helping people to not have that black and white us versus them thinking. Uh, you're saying like, it's not okay to just believe that there's these perfect good guys and these 
evil to the core bad guys you're you're helping people see like there are everything's connected and there are reasons why people do what they do and it's not just so simple as like well americans are the good guys and so no matter what we do it's going to be good you're saying like no we actually can do some pretty terrible things yeah (laughs) Yeah. in the name of god a lot of times as well yeah and i mean it's really it's really hard to understand and i you know i also don't want to say that there aren't there isn't evil in the world uh but um a lot of the times what we when we paint somebody else a whole especially a whole group of people as evil it's easier for us to do that than to realize that they are sinners who need Jesus just as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be kind of a, a dehumanizing mentality that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and we do with all sorts of different things. You know, and we all have sort of what I, what I call a those people, you know, the, oh, if it weren't for those people, this country mm-hmm. would be great. And it could be, you know, anything. <laughs> We're kind of all over the place in creating those people. Mm. But that that means that a lot of the times that gives me an excuse to not have to reach out, not to have to have compassion. Um, when again, our like you said, our we are part of a kingdom, and the, the kingdom is greater than the United States. Uh, our our mission is to be reaching out with the kingdom of God, mm. and that's it's it's a hard and tricky thing to do in a modern world. But that's what we're called to do, and and I think a lot of us are in a place where maybe our loved ones are on the other side of a battle and we don't understand how they can believe whatever it is they believe, um, (laughs) you know? Uh, And and it's so easy to lose compassion for those people and think that they're crazy and write them off. But uh, that doesn't do anybody any good, especially in 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 our present moment when we're so divided in the United States, uh, especially in Christianity. I think it helps us not to see everybody as villains, but to see us as as victims of a collective era uh, where our media has not done a great job. Uh, I don't care what organization you get your media from. They have not done a great job <laughs> with this era. Um, our politicians have let us down. Uh, the churches are, are put in a lot of really difficult places right now. It, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult time to be alive. And so I think that we have all sort of been victims of that era. Um, so hopefully if, if you can see that maybe, you know, your parents who have a different view of you or your family or coworkers, uh, if you can have compassion that they're, they're the victim of the same era that you are, uh, they've just, they're just dealing with it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that can give you some compassion. Um, that's, that's what I'm working on in my own life, uh, to avoid the villain mentality. I think we all need to work on that in our own yeah. lives. Um, I'm curious how you would say your faith or your perception of Christianity has changed as a result of everything that you've learned. Yeah, I I hope it's made me more compassionate. You know, it's like I said with the the villain thing. It's I <laughs> I I am tempted to see other people as villains all the time, and uh, hopefully it's it's made me more compassionate, but also hopefully less fearful because. Uh, I think one of the, the worst words that we've used in this era has been unprecedented. Uh, and because that, that causes people to have fear that the era they're living mm. in has no, there's no history for this. this. This could not have been seen coming. And there's never been an era that has been like this. When in reality, we live in a very cyclical world mm. um, where, you know, you look at the kind of journalism that we have now and the problems that we have. You go back to the days of William Randolph first and you would have seen exactly the same thing. Uh, where where newspapers were divided 
based on political parties. That, that's been a thing for a long time. Napoleon Bonaparte did that. He would uh, insert stuff in the media and, and cause people to believe one thing that was completely untrue, but it was just, he could get it in the media. And so like he didn't have a, uh, an independent media of his era. And um, so that, that is not unprecedented. You know, sickness and disease, totally not unprecedented. <laughs> um, you know, we, we can ignore them because a lot of the times the diseases that go on are happening in other countries. You know, we didn't have to deal with SARS in, uh, in the way that other countries did. Um, but they happened. That doesn't mean they're unprecedented. You know, they just didn't happen here. Mm. Um, or you look at even something like AIDS, which is happening here, but it's easy enough for us to ignore if we, we aren't in, it's not a part of our community even though it is an epidemic. Um, so it's, it, that unprecedented thing is, is really unhelpful. <laughs> mm, right. It, there's a tremendous amount of precedent for everything we're going through. And I think uh, studying these things has really given me a lot of hope that the Christian church has come through a lot worse than this. Mm. Um, you know, where you look at the, the, the things that happened shortly after the, the um, uh, Reformation, and, uh, and the things that the church went through with literal wars and people dying over denominational differences, um, we're in a pretty good place. And I, I think that gives me a lot of hope, you know, compared to those eras uh, that we, we can come out of this. Uh, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take the church learning how to be the church again. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels like it's going to take the church learning what the truth is again. Um, yeah. You know, as, as you were talking about Napoleon and, and propaganda, it. It reminded me of, of a, a quote attributed to Adolf Hitler, and he said, "If you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it, it will be yeah. believed." And we've seen so many lies thrown out there, and then we just we just buy it because our allegiance is to a political party and not necessarily, you know, to the truth. And a, a, as you said, it's really difficult to have compassion for. Yeah our family and our friends who, who in some ways have been the victims of, of lies and been the, the victims of propaganda. So how have you created and, and even fostered compassion for those individuals in, in your sphere of influence and in your life who maybe um, you know, have bought some of the lies of the political jargon that's going on and or have been the victims of marginalization? Yeah, I should say I'm I'm not an expert in that because uh, <laughs> I struggle a lot in that area. But my goals for myself include um, being a better listener than a talker. Um, you know, if mm. I can try to listen more and ask good questions, mm. I find that I'll help people say things that they haven't said out loud, and and maybe that'll help them under like figure out. Oh, maybe that doesn't work. Maybe I don't like how that sounds when I, it comes out of my mouth. Or else um, trying to be incremental about change that I'm encouraging. Um, so, you know, I have a, a loved one uh, who sends me um, conspiracy emails. And, uh, and I, I think we I all to, have that person in our lives. Do you, <laughs> <laughs> and some of it comes down to like just good internet etiquette where it's like you can't just send a forward to me with an attachment because that's how viruses are spread on the internet. <laughs> um, you know, just trying to educate even in those little things. Um, uh, media literacy is really lacking. So uh, like media literacy is a really good way to talk about things. Uh, you know, sure, you got this article, but 
what is the source? Where are they getting this information from? Um, is kind of a helpful way to go about it. But really, like the the listening thing is is really key to me for compassion because I can start to understand the fears that people have. And if I can understand where that fear is coming from, I can better figure out how to deal with it. Uh, one of the things that my brother and I have been working on, uh, my, I have a twin brother and we live together. We, we made the movies together and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very close and I run a lot of the ideas of the podcast by him. But uh, he, he and I have been trying to realize more that the thing that people are presenting to us is rarely their issue. It's usually something behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can get to that thing that's behind the, the, the upfront issue, you can generally solve the problem much better. You know, it's like if you're having an argument with somebody that you love, and honestly, you know, we argue the hardest with the people that we love the most, right? Um, if you're having an argument with them, frequently that argument is about something else. You know, you know, somebody didn't do the dishes, but really they're upset that you, you know, forgot their birthday, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's the same in, in other realms of our lives. Oftentimes that thing somebody's holding on to, that they're presenting publicly is not the main issue. There's usually something else behind it. Hmm. So if um, the goal is to always get to that thing that's behind it and to understand that. Well, I, I love that. I think that's, that's really needed in our day and age is kind of putting yourself in their shoes and, and understanding where they're coming from, because it's so easy to just, uh, label them and then say like, now I understand everything about them, but that's never the case. Um, so one question I wanted to ask you is it has to do with the name of this podcast. So, you know, it's called Holy Heretics and we called it that for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons that we did that is because we, we and our listeners and even guests like you have either felt shunned from the church or from people within the church, or even actually been called names like heretic or apostate or Jezebel, if they're women. Um, So I would assume based on everything you've told us that you have probably been labeled some things like that as well, or at least had people kind of give you that vibe of like, well, I'm concerned about you. Like you're going off the deep end kind of thing. So what would you say is the biggest belief or posture that you hold that uh, you feel like might lead someone who's who's not on the margins to write you off or to call you a heretic. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the main thing, especially with season three, has been uh, to I've been trying to uh, treat different viewpoints with respect. Um, so I, the the main thing I get called, and it's not very often, is socialist, and I'm not a socialist. <laughs> But it's an easy understanding for, it's an easy word to slap on stuff, Mm. you know, uh, and it's an easy way for people to disregard you. Um, But in some circles to even question just pure market capitalism is seen as an attack on Christianity. Mm. And uh, you can hear that. I mean, it's, it's put out on the radio and in the media all the time, it's Christian media all the time that, you know, market capitalism is God's design. Um, I actually had a press release sent to me from somebody trying to push that the Old Testament, like flat out lays out capitalism. And I was like, I, I read the, the, the verses they were putting out there. And I'm like, that is not what that verse is about at all. Oh gosh, You know, and, uh, but you see that, you know, that stuff mm-hmm. comes up. Uh, we're just really afraid, you know, um, we're really afraid to say that, you know, capitalism is great, but it should be regulated. 
um, and it mm. should be regulated appropriately. Um, not not to choke things, but you know that that's my stance. It's like I'm I'm a capitalist, but I think it should be regulated appropriately. And um, and so it's it's much easier for folks to worry that I'm a socialist. And so if you look on Apple Podcasts, there are some comments that'll say that. Um, and I, I did have my church that I go to. I love my local church, um, but we are a very di spiritually diverse church, although maybe not culturally diverse because I don't live in a particularly culturally diverse town, <laughs> um, but a very spiritually diverse town where we've got uh, ex-Mormons, uh, we've got uh, our uh, ex-Mormons, we've got Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, I mean, really everything, um, Pentecostals. So it, this is kind of it's the church where everybody ends up when they don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> uh, which is kind of what I love about my church, but it does mean that folks are going to disagree from time to time. And I think that's actually healthy. Um, but I approached the the missions board um, about a year ago to see if they would consider financing the show. And um, the, the head of the missions board, who is a guy I have a ton of respect for, um, does not like my show because he's, <laughs> he believes that the founding fathers were all Christians and this is a Christian nation mm -hmm. um, and respectfully disagreed with me. But it did mean I didn't get any funding and I'm still you know, driving a school bus for a living to yeah. try to make ends meet, uh, which is, you know, that's, that's how it goes. I, I produced all the movies while working other jobs. I you know, wrote the books while working other jobs. So this is just kind of how it's always been. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've actually been kind of blessed because the show is sort of small uh, that uh, I haven't had too much fallout um, about it. I'm just now starting to get some spam attacks on the website. Um, I don't know if that's directed at the show or it's just like some bot that's terrorizing the internet. Um, but uh, otherwise, I've, I've been pretty, pretty blessed. I, I do know there are folks who think I'm a socialist. Doesn't matter how many times I say I'm not. Um, <laughs> uh, that's that's okay. It's the price you pay sometimes for um, mm. trying to encourage people to think. Uh, you know, it's easier for them to label you than to question their own assumptions. Mm. Um, but uh, I but think that's really telling too. That that's like it wasn't like oh well I have this view of the Bible or I have this view of sin or and it wasn't a theological issue. It, I think it's telling that like it's socialism versus capitalism that yeah. it like shows how tied our politics are in the u.s to christianity so yeah. I think that's just fascinating yeah and i work really hard to keep the show sort of theologically orthodox um i don't want to ever try to push people in a weird you know, i don't want to get off into weird esoteric stuff um, because i think that shuts folks down and also mm -hmm. i don't believe any weird esoteric stuff so um mm -hmm. i i want to keep it as theologically orthodox as possible and a lot of the conversations that folks hear about these kinds of things are from folks who are kind of out there uh, theologically. And I think that to, to have a show that is trying to be theologically orthodox uh, question these things is a very weird thing in the market. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't blame them for wanting to label me as a socialist or as nuts because that's what they usually hear or that's what they're usually encountering when they hear stuff like this. Mm. Um, so I, again, I just, I just have to be compassionate and understand that folks are going to draw those conclusions. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, you, especially like, go ahead. We, and you can maybe point them to Acts 2 and the early church, which we could be so bold as to say that they are, they were far more than just socialist in their, in their practices. You know I mean? They, they well, live in of, community, yeah. you know, and, and 
we can't we can't even compare that you know to modern socialism or modern communism but what a beautiful um representation of maybe a different way of of treating economics and and property uh, that that we yeah. see in the early church you know which was was pretty it's, revolutionary yeah it's a weird thing cuz acts 2 is not uh, socialism in general if you're going for like a broad definition is when the government owns the means of production but gives the people the profit mm-hmm. um so the the weird thing about acts 2 is that it is not a government running things exactly and it was a voluntary giving up of things so like right. uh, you get into the story of ananias and sapphira their sin was not that they didn't give everything to the people the problem is that they they lied about what they gave it was it was a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, it was not an enforced socialism like would actually fit. Acts 2 is sort of a beast of its own where it's really the church being the church right. and not a government organization stepping it up. So um, it's it's a weird thing because it's it's funny because everybody like depending on what side you're on, you want to see socialism in there or you want to see capitalism in there. And <laughs> right. neither are actually endorsed in the Bible. Neither yeah, are laid neither out. Neither one of them um, fit, do they? Because it's an no, invitation. No, neither of them do. <laughs> Yeah, it's an invitation to give freely, and boy, yeah. that 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 calls into question both systems, you know. Yeah, I mean, the early church in um, in Acts, they're they're under the Roman Empire. They have basically no power whatsoever, which is something that is like totally foreign for us in the United States. And you know, Paul writes these letters telling them to obey their leaders. That's mm. something that we can't deal with uh, in our heads. Like we can't wrap around. Um, in some ways, I kind of think it was much easier for them to obey their leaders because they weren't. The hard thing for us is we're electing our leaders. <laughs> um, and so in a way, I am a leader of this country. And like those, you know, the president and the vice president, all those folks are uh, getting their power from me. And so in, it's it's a weird setup that I think is it's hard to suss out when reading the Bible because democracy is not really in the Bible like that. Right. Um, and so it, we're, we're just in a funny place and we got to suss it out. We got to be delicate and, uh, and take the whole Bible, the Bible as a whole, instead of in pieces, the parts mm-hmm. that we like. And that's really tricky to do because the Bible is a gigantic book and most of us Christians haven't read it. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's tough because we'll, people will make big stands based on one verse that their pastor preached on, but they don't actually have the, the whole of the Bible in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a weird thing. We, we, <laughs> there's a lot of juggling that has to go on and a lot of compassion and grace that has to go on all sides mm-hmm. um, because it is easy to pull socialism out of there. It's easy to pull capitalism out of there, but truly the Bible doesn't endorse either. Mm-hmm. Hey, you mentioned this uh, a few minutes ago, the word hope. And yeah. I'm curious when you look at the future of faith in particular, in maybe North America, what gives you hope? Yeah. You know, I have an episode coming out, um, a little mini episode at the end of season three. I interviewed uh, Dr. Richard Land, uh, who is um, uh, sort of a Republican mouthpiece in the Christian world. So he goes to these big conferences like National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and he has radio shows and podcasts and those things. A very, very conservative guy. And I didn't know who he was when I interviewed him. But uh, he... uh, we, we got off and he was giving me basically the Republican party line all the way down. I couldn't get him to go different from it. I couldn't get him to elaborate on stuff. 
And uh, it's actually kind of some painful tape. <laughs> I was really like unsure if I wanted to make this episode because it's painful <laughs> to listen to me trying to struggle uh, against it, uh, all this stuff. And um, after we shut down the recorder, and this is like where I broke the laws of journalism, you, all, you should always be recording. Um, he said to me that the problem with your generation, talking to me, problem with my generation is that we, we are unwilling to see thing as black, things as black and white. Uh, good and evil. Um, and, uh, and I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, because hmm. I do, I do think it's appropriate to see things as good and evil, black and white, when they are good and evil and black and white. Hmm. Um, but one of the things that gives me hope is that I think that this generation is is starting to learn that a lot of these things that we have labeled black and white are not quite black and white, um, or they're, or they're complex. Um, uh, and, Complexity can't be dealt with well in black and white situations. Um, complexity has to be dealt with in a complex way. Uh, that's that's the best way to see things, and I think that that's that's what this younger generation is is bringing to the table as we're starting to consider. Oh, you know, you know what? Maybe uh, African Americans have been harassed by the police, you know, <laughs> for a Shocker. long time. You know that yes, I, I I understand that it is possible to both support the police and support African-Americans. You know, like I think that we're being, this generation is being asked to do some very complicated things. You know, oh, maybe women have actually been sexually harassed in like every industry since time immemorial. Maybe it's time to actually think about that. And I think that some of these movements that are coming out are really forcing young people, younger generations to question those things. Mm. Um, and as long as we can understand that, uh, the Bible is not against any of those things. It is actually for us treating women and foreigners and African-Americans, people of different races with compassion and with generosity. I think we've got a place. You know, I think with the, there's a lot of hope for Christianity in that. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this uh, younger generation uh, coming up that, that hopefully they will be able to um, correct some of these wrongs by thinking in a complex way. Mm. Mm, I love that. Okay, we have one last thing for you. Yeah. We just want to ask you some fun rapid fire questions. So Woo. you just, we're just going to ask them and you answer as quickly as you can without thinking. Sure. Um, so is it, does that sound okay? Yeah. I'm an improv comedian. I'm used to not thinking. <laughs> All right. Perfect. <laughs> All right. In your bio, you mentioned that you like both hiking and cross country skiing. So if you had to choose between summer and winter, which would you pick and why? Oh, summer for sure. Uh, but I, I live in Western Wyoming and it is strikingly beautiful here. And I, I love getting, getting places on my own power. Um, so hiking, you would not believe some of the places that we can get to out here. And there'll be like nobody else for 10 miles. And mm -hmm. it's just like an incredible, incredible thing mm -hmm. to be out there. And there's mountain lions, which is kind of scary, right? And there's mountain lions. Yeah, they, <laughs> uh, you know, you're much more likely to be gored by a moose than you are to be attacked by a mountain lion. Okay. That's that, an image. That, that's encouraging. That's <laughs> yeah. really encouraging. Yeah. Let me give you a, a new thing to be afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you mentioned you're into improv comedy. Can you give us yeah. a little taste? Like, give us your best joke. Oh, you know, um, improv is actually, it's funny enough. It's not about jokes. It's about scene work um, and, and about uh, listening to your partner and oftentimes not trying to be funny. And uh, so I could tell you a joke, but that wouldn't be the same as improv. So I think if an improv comedian heard me tell a joke and not clarify, they'd be very upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, 
you know, uh, I, I think that one of my favorite jokes is there's, and it's a little, it's got a little pot of humor and I'm okay with that. If you're okay with that, we're okay. It's not oh, yeah. gross, but there's three old men sitting around and they're talking about the good old days. And the one guy says, you know, back when I was young, I used to be able to pee uh, like this really strong stream and it was just beautiful. I can't pee anymore. I says, no. <laughs> and the other guy, the second guy is like, you know, I, I used to get up and I, I would go to, you know, on ticket number two every single day at the same time, like clockwork. And now I just struggle with that. And then the, the third guy is like, well, you know, I, I, every morning at six o'clock on a dime, I, I, I take a number two and I take a number one. And it's strong, just like when I was young. And the other two guys are like, well, then what are you upset about? You, you, you go regularly every day at six. And the guy, guy says, well, yeah, I go every day at six, but I don't get up until nine. Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with a little bit of potty humor. I, uh, just, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Who is the most interesting person you've ever met or interviewed? Oh, the most interesting person I've ever met or interviewed. You know, I I have a besides friend here. Us. Who, besides you, yes. I have a friend here who's not famous in any way. Um, he's just, he is the local guy who set up the internet for our valley. He works for a, a communications company here. And I've gone on a, a few hikes with him and he is endlessly fascinating to me. And he's just, mm. just some guy, he's my age. Uh, he's just just a fascinating dude. Like I I am uh, always interested. He's always got some crazy story about something that happened in some Canyon or some bit of local history uh, or some vacation he went on, or he'll tell me about how he brings internet to this Valley. And it's, it's all fascinating. And for some reason we only hang out once a year. Um, uh, But I treasure it every single time. (laughs) All right. So what's the coolest hike you've ever done? Uh, Yeah, I did. um, I did a hike in, Iceland. Uh, there was a Ooh. four day hike. Uh, I want to say it's the land Manilager trail. Um, I always mess up what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, um, or I can't remember if it's the town of land Manilager or it's the trail it's called that. But anyway, if you, you look it up in a map, uh, you end up hiking through multiple different zones and uh, like one day is basically steam coming up from the ground. So it looks like you're on Mars. And um, really sparse, not a lot of vegetation or anything. Another day is hills. Another day, the third day is like this big flat, like super, super flat expanse with all these black rocks on either side. And somebody cleared a a straight path down it um, Mm. and mountains on either side. And then the last day you're going up and over that volcano that went off at like 2008. Do you remember there was a volcano that shut down? Like I went up and over that and stayed at the top um, with some people that I met on the trail. Uh, it's just an incredible, incredible hike. Um, uh, really, uh, much easier than you would think for that many miles. Uh, but it it was incredible, really beautiful. Well, I've always wanted to go to Iceland, so now yeah. I need to go even more. If you yeah, if you go, uh, definitely do do a hike uh, because it's one of those things that the seaside is beautiful, but it's a lot like Maine. Um, so you could save a lot of money and just go to Maine. <laughs> mm. But if you go, you really need to go on a hike. Well, my husband's a rock climber and ice climber and all that. So oh, no. there's no way we wouldn't. <laughs> okay. If we just, if we just sat there, he would be very unhappy. So, yeah. um, which this, um, kind of relates because nobody can go anywhere right now because of COVID. So this right. is the last question. 
what's something that you can't do now because of COVID that you can't wait to get back to doing? Oh, yeah. Actually, it's improv comedy. Mm. Um, the, mm. Our troupe has been together for something like 11 years. And a lot of the same people have been in it for most of that time. And it's just a, an incredible thing because, uh, you know, we would get together every Tuesday and, and rehearse. And when, when it's rehearsal, we can just get together and tell each other about the week. And then a lot of the times we would incorporate what happened in our friend's week into the scenes, which is kind of like a therapeutic way to mm. process things. And, uh, and then be able to laugh. And we have, you know, hundreds of inside jokes together. And uh, they're just the, the best group of people who, like, you get the sense that they would do anything for you if you mm -hmm. needed them to. And uh, so I really, really miss them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be fun to get back in front of an audience because I, I think I've gotten weirder over COVID. Because yeah, I, I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten, I, haven't, I don't have the outlet, you know, and my podcast is so serious for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have the outlet. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. Yeah, we've mm. we've all gotten weirder and a little bit fatter, but you know, that's yeah, oh yeah, a bit <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh yeah. Oh, hey, Chris, this has really been fun. Um, Good, as well as enlightening. So, for all of us who are interested in in you and your podcast, where can you direct us to to get more information and to hear your voice more? Sure. Yeah, yeah. You can hear Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com. And while you're there, you can also find links to my novel, Cradle Robber, and to my movies, Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls. And actually, Bringing Up Bobby just uh, uh, was legally put on YouTube for the first time a few weeks ago. So if you want to see it, ours is the one with nobody famous in it. There's another <laughs> one that was made a few years later with the same name. Um, so ours is the one with nobody famous. Um, so, yeah. Well, you can tell your podcaster that you've said that a few times. That was good. Very... <laughs> Very polished. Thank you well, very much. And we'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes as well for anyone who uh, would rather just go there. We'll make sure all that info is in there for you as well. So thank you so much for joining us today, oh, yeah. Chris. Thanks this for having me. Really great. Yep. My pleasure. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We have lots of great interviews coming up that you definitely won't want to miss. As always, you can find show notes as well as all our social media info at holyheretics.org. And finally, just in case you missed it, we have a brand new ebook called Faith Deconstruction 101 that's all about helping you on your deconstruction journey and perhaps reconstruction if that's something that you want to do. You can download that for free by going to sophiasociety.org slash ebook. That's Sophia with a PH. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.